0: I think it's it's important to sort of, even at a very young age, give kids alternative strategies and give them scenarios and kind of troubleshoot it with them. Well, what if somebody takes your toy? What do you think will happen? You know, what could you do instead? And I think that really helps.
1: I posted a reel a few weeks ago about what to do when your child bites, and I was flooded with questions. Everything from my child bites other kids and even adults, how do we handle this? My toddler's biting when they feel anything, not just anger, is that normal? And I've been following the I won't let you bite respectful parenting script, but it's not working. What am I supposed to do next? So I invited Dr. Emily Upsher back on the podcast to tackle all these questions and dive into nuances and gray areas around biting. If you're a regular listener, you know Emily. She's the co-founder of our joint practice Upshur Bren Psychology Group in Pelham, New York, and she's a frequent guest on the podcast. The thing is, biting is not one size fits all. It can result from a variety of different emotions and unmet needs. In this episode, Emily and I will get into the most common reasons toddlers and kids bite, how to put on your detective hat to try to determine which of these is the culprit for your unique child in this unique moment, and how to respond in a way that addresses the root causes of this behavior. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights, So you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hey everyone, we are so lucky to have Dr. Emily Upshur back on the podcast to answer some listener questions. Um, One that has come up a lot was about biting. And we get a lot of questions about what do I do when my child's biting? I'm trying all the things I'm supposed to do and they're still biting. Help me. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want my child to like not be able to go to play dates because they bite, but I also, I don't know how to stop them from biting.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really common topic, right? And there's two sides of this. There's the kid that's biting and the kid that's bitten, right? And so I think it's a really important aspect to sort of try to do this on both sides of that. One of the things that we often think about is, you know, what are the underlying reasons behind some of these things? What's going on? What leads a child to be bitten or the biter? And I think, you know, we can work on some of those underlying reasons and help parents to come to a little bit of a better understanding. Is it, is it about, um, you know, emotional dysregulation? Is it about being able to express yourself verbally better? Is it about not being able to, to stand up for yourself? Is it about not being able to put yourself in the right situations? So I think it's really important for us to sort of on an individual basis, pick that through, but some of the overall arching things we can do in the moment, you know, aside from the basics of staying really calm, setting a limit, not letting you, not letting a child, sort of bite or do a behavior that's aggressive in that manner? What can we do after that? Right? And I always think of this as a two-prong approach. The first thing is you've set the limit. Great job done, right? You've done a really good job at doing that. But how do you weather the storm of that limit? That limit might not look like, okay, great, mom, dad, thanks for letting us know. You know, I'm I, I'm not going to bite anymore. It's most likely going to look big and messy and maybe like a tantrum or maybe like attempting to bite more, you know. So there's a little bit of holding that boundary. And I think that that's really important. And then weathering the emotional storm that might come from that.
1: Yeah, I think, and this is, I think there's like a couple different camps when it comes to biting, right? I think we have parents who... You know, see a bite, to child biting, and they feel themselves incredibly panicked, and they come in super hot, and they're like, "Oh!" And I get that, like I really do. Like if you see your kid bite or another kid bites your kid, like it's scary. It's really scary, and there's fear of real, you know, harm being done. There's also a fear of like societal judgment, like oh my god, they're gonna get kicked out of daycare, or they're no one's gonna want to be at a playdate with us. Um, and because there's this, there's something really primal about biting, right? And especially in a post-pandemic age, we're pretty sensitive to like germs and oral stuff, right? It's just it's layered with a lot of like visceral reactions. We, it's it feels very prim pri, like primally aggressive, and it feels kind of really unsafe in a lot of ways. And I also think it's really important to help parents understand that. Children bite, this is actually a developmentally appropriate thing. Is it okay? Is it safe? No. But do kids bite when they're upset? Yes. Certainly toddlers and even preschoolers, if they're pushed to that breaking point. I would not be, you know, I it's not a call for severe concern if it's a really big pattern, we definitely want to understand like what's going on. It's a sign, right? We look at it as like, it's a bell that's being rung. And it could be that this is an isolated incident and our child just got so upset and had so few resources in that moment that this is what occurred. It could be that it's a pattern that they continually seem to find themselves engaging in this behavior when, when they reach that, Point of dysregulation, and so we, that's one thing to first consider: is this a one-off thing where they just got really upset, and this just it happened? Is this their go-to k- way of expressing in, in extreme frustration? Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I think what's so important about what you're saying is there. There's, of course, you're right. This is this visceral response we all have to biting, but I think when we think about things, we think of that as an unmet need or an undeveloped appropriate response, right? And biting, while it's in its nature, obviously aggressive, oral stimulation is also very soothing. So is this a child's attempt at self-soothing? Is this a child's attempt at self-regulating? You know, is it appropriate? No. Do we need to sort of work on that area? Yes. But it's not totally uncommon.
1: Right. And I also think, Mm -hmm. you know, you brought up another interesting point of this, like, is it self-soothing? Is it, you see a lot of biting um, with kids who are sensory seeking, right? Which is something, maybe you could talk a little bit about the distinction between like, I'm just super, super, super mad right now and I can't hold my rage in and this is the way it's manifesting Mm -hmm. versus I'm playing with you and whoops a bit, whoops, that felt good to bite, whoops oh, I did it again. And and there's like, I think there's a little bit of a different flavor in those two types of scenarios.
0: Yeah, both are common. I think that, and and you're right there, there's a little bit of a different flavor to them. I think the, the sort of sensory seeking piece is like a need for feedback from your environment. And so we see that with kids also in other sort of physical manifestations, leaning on other kids, touching other kids, you know, that type of thing. So I think it's, You'll see this in other manifestations, but it's the same concept, right? How do we set a limit and help the child weather that limit? And that might be about, you know, it might not look so pretty when we do that, but we do have to sort of set that limit, even if it's a sensory seeking thing, right? Intentionality is important for us to understand as the parent or the caregiver. Like, is it sensory? Is it not sort of aggressively based or dysregulated based on dysregulation. But in the end, we, and that helps inform us what to do after we set the limit, right? But in the end, we have to, our first step, step number one is setting that limit. And then step number two is weathering the reaction to that limit being set.
1: Yes. And then there's this other prong, which we'll talk about, which is how do we actually prophylactically prevent some things? How do we shift the environment? How do we Help prepare a child. How do we, in cool moments, build skills? So these are things that, again, knowing the the source of the behavior will really inform that piece. When we're responding to the behavior in and of itself, it doesn't matter why they're biting. We got to stop the biting. And so what we often do, and this is what I always say to parents, is first of all, first and foremost, we stay calm, which is super hard to do. for all the reasons we've just talked about, but we stay calm because we also have to remember that if they're biting, they're dysregulated. And so we do not want to come in hot and pour gasoline on their fire. It will make it worse. So there's a couple strategies that I think are really important. The most basic one I always teach is to very calmly say, I'm not going to let you bite. No, we're not doing that. That's not safe. And I physically block or I move my body away. If they're biting me, I might say, oh, I'm set you down. Or if they're biting another child, I will get in between the two of them and I'll say, that's not safe. And if they can tolerate that alone and reconstitute, I'm just going to buddy guard. I'm just going to be present. If me setting that limit is not enough to keep them from wanting to continue to approach and hurt, you know, another child, I'm going to physically remove them and say, you're, you're showing me you cannot be safe right now. I'm going to move you over here. I'm going to help you calm your body down. Right? So that's sort of like step one. It's I'm super calm. I'm physically keeping you safe. If a child's already done the biting and the other child's hurt, again, I'm physically keeping them safe. I'm going to attend to the child who's hurt. If it's just me, make sure they're okay. Name what happened. Soothe them, address that. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to attend to the child who did the biting and I'm going to work on calming them. I'm not going to get mad at them. I'm going to sort of communicate my boundary. I think we get a lot of parents who will say, well, I'll do the, I'm not going to let you bite. And it's not working. It, they're still biting. And this, I think, requires a little bit of a, uh shifting the expectations of the parents in these circumstances. Sure. I think a lot of parents have this confusion around what is a sign that, that something's working, right? I've done the I won't let you bite. I won't let you hit. I'm not going to let you do this. I've held the boundary. And I think what a lot of parents expect or are using to determine whether or not they've been successful is is there regulation on the part of the child? Is there cooperation? Are they able to follow and respect the boundary that we've set? That's a success. When in fact, I think really what I do with parents is try to help them manage their expectations. You holding the boundary, I won't let you bite. That's the end of your job. That's the success. What happens after that could be really messy, really ugly, really... A, sh- a whole shit show, right? The child could really lose. The child could really lose their. The child could really lose their shit after you have told them that they can't do this thing. That's not safe, and we're still going to consider that a success from a parental stand, from a parenting standpoint. You've held the boundary. The child's had their big meltdown, but they're, but you're not letting them bite. You're not letting them bite because you're physically moving your body away or you're moving removing them from the, the proximity to the other child, like you, they can't bite if they're not near anybody to bite. And that's that's it, that's the success. And I think a lot of them, the work is outside of these interventions, these heat, heated moments in the, in the intervention of like stopping the biting is preparing environments and helping a child in these cool, calm moments learn strategies for assertiveness skills you know walking away getting help but that's not something that you're going to be worried about in the moment of the biting in the moment of the biting we're just physically preventing them from biting and that's it that's we've done our job i mean the way i think about it is exactly your point there's two there's a
0: two-prong approach one is the in the moment and it's sort of i call it weathering that wave like weathering that storm and the skill that we're teaching parents is really to build your tolerance to that like you set a boundary and you have to build your tolerance if there's a response first right if there's a big reaction we expect it we're ready for it and we are able to weather it right that's in, in that moment, that might look like sitting on the floor, you know, with your back against your kid's door, like holding them in your lap. That's what it might look like. It might look messy, right? It might not mm-hmm. look like an aha moment for the child. But on the other hand, the other prong is a lot of what you're talking about is like prophylactic work, right? Like setting the stage, preparing child's children for transitions, giving them some alternative coping mechanisms, a lot of expression and assertiveness, I think is a big part of biting, specifically in terms of oral stunting and oral stimulation and sort of the sort of trying to express yourself in a certain way that you can't. So I think that that's the other piece that we keep in mind is like the preventative side. So there's the moment side, and then there's this more, how can we set up the environment and the child for success to try to use a different methodology To get their needs met.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've got this two-pronged approach, right? We're going to, in the moment, maintain safety. We're going to not allow the biting. We're going to set the boundary and we're also going to tolerate the meltdown, right? Or whatever happens afterwards. That's our child's feelings about our boundary is not a sign that our boundary didn't work, right? As long as nobody is biting anymore, we've done our job. The big meltdown is perhaps part of it, and we have to accept that that's a part of it, and it's okay. But then let's talk about the other part. Like, I think that second prong of this way of conceptualizing, supporting biting in children is actually the more important part. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the different understanding the why behind the biting is going to inform this this part of our approach, right? So let's talk a little bit, like, let's talk a little bit about strategies for if your child's sort of sensory seeking and the biting is coming a lot, is coming up a lot in the form of like, you know, oral gratification or exploring their environment, navigating social situations, navigating overstimulation, all that stuff. And then let's talk a little bit about, no, I'm just really, really, really mad. And this is what happened.
0: Sure. I mean, I think in the sensory seeking sort of realm, some of the strategies are, I I really love giving kids literally something to put in their mouth. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this can really help. We see biting a lot during transition times or times of flux. So I will say like, give a child Something with a lot of feedback, like to eat, like a bagel or something, as they transition into activities or something along those lines. For little children, that's easier in the form of like pretzels or something like that. For older children, you could even use gum or you know a sugar-free gum, right? Just it gives them a little bit of that, like satiates that. If that's not a possibility. You can give them some like oral stimulation basically before they, you know, they engage in, in an activity. So like give them something really tough to eat right before they go to school, like a really chewy bagel with cream cheese, you know, like you're really trying mm-hmm. to sort of the, the note is sort of like, get it out, right? Like get that sort of need met and then allow them to engage in the activity that doesn't allow for that.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say too, if, you know, just because they you know, some, and you got to know your kid's body and nervous system, but some kids it's like oral, uh, oral stimulation is like the only outlet or that release for that kind of pent up uncomfortable feel, emotional energy. Um, and so using oral, oral input, sensory input stuff is going to be the best way to go. Um, but we have to remember that like, not all of our sensory input has to be matched up right? If my kid is biting, it might be that they need, we could, we can kind of hit that release valve for them in other types of sensory input. So there's an episode that I did with Laura Pettix, who is an OT, um, where she goes through all these different types of like sensory regulation ep- exercises you can do that I think would be really useful to go back and listen to. If this is resonating with you, if like, oh, that's totally my kid. I would check out that episode because there's other things you can do beyond just physically addressing the oral stuff. I also think you can get there. And I've seen, I've recommended this to patients that I work with, but they have like chewy bracelets or chewy necklaces yeah. that their kid can really, cause you're not always going to be with them. Right. And you're not always going to be able to have a bagel to pop in their mouth. Right. So like these like bracelets are very subtle, especially for older kids who like, you know, they don't want to be, they can't be chewing on a teether. Right. You give that to your one or two year old. But like a six-year-old, yeah, they have cool bracelets. They've got like rubber dog tag necklaces, like things that pass as like cool, but also are things they could subtly put in their mouth. They also have like pencil toppers. So there are lots of cool stuff out there now for kids who need that sensory input um, that are subtle, but serve that same function of like regulating their nervous system.
0: I think that's also really important that there's – we're talking about sensory seekers. There's different types of sensory behaviors, right? The sensory seekers, you're right, it can be, it's not necessarily oral. It could also be, you know, popping your kid in a trampoline before they go to school for a few minutes, right? There's other ways. And I think that's, it would be great to visit that episode and and see the menu of things in your toolbox that you can do to sort of help soothe that.
1: Yes. And then I think there's, so we could talk about just like, okay, we're, we're if we're seeing, if we're interpreting this behavior as a sign that their you know, their nervous system needs a little regulation, a little release, um, those are strategies. But also we want to think about the fact that whether our kid is getting super, super frustrated and that's why they're biting, or our kid is maybe like this is a pattern of like how they engage with their environment. Either way, we want to prepare them. We want to prepare them ahead of time for... Tricky situations like transitions, like play dates where they're going to have to share toys or have kids taking their things, or where they're going to a playground and their personal space might not be, you know, respected by other kids, little kids on the playground. You know, little kids are very unpredictable and they can very unexpectedly surprise our child with a behavior they weren't prepared for, and that can activate a sense of threat in them that results in biting. And it's not, you know, so we, we as parents want to be thinking ahead, like where, what's the environment we're about to enter into? Is it highly unpredictable? If it is, and I know my child struggles with biting when they're really overwhelmed then I'm going to want to bodyguard them I'm going to want to be close it doesn't mean I need to like helicopter my kid I just want to be close enough and paying attention so that if I notice those signs and your kids got signs that they're moving up that thermometer of dysregulation you can step in faster you can step in before p- potential biting happens and you know obviously we want to be able to like talk to our friends at the playground and like not be you know eagle-eyeing our child the whole time but if your kid is biting you you might want to practice these strategies a few times because if we can get there in if we can intervene before the biting happens because we're watching our child's cues it's a lot easier for a child to learn where the boundaries are and to avoid those big giant kind of like collisions with reality that happen when after the bite has happened.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think another way to do that is I, you know completely echoing like think about the sit- specific situation you're going to be in, right? And think about what that might look like. I think a strategy that I use a lot in treatment is you know maybe role play that out with your kid ahead of time, right? Give them a couple examples and then also give them some replacement behaviors. You can stomp your feet. You can squeeze your fists. You can come to me and ask for help. Right. So I think it's, it's important to sort of, even at a very young age, give kids alternative strategies and give them scenarios and kind of troubleshoot it with them. Well, what if somebody takes your toy? What do you think will happen? You know, what could you do instead? And I think that really helps to create a little bit of autonomy because you're right. I think we want to get in there to scaffold, but our ultimate goal is to be able to scaffold enough so that we can drop away those scaffolds and sort of let them fly a little on their own. And, And so I think, you know, but doing a little bit of like, um, mirroring them and buddying them is great. And, and then like remind them of those conversations you had beforehand. Remember we talked about this, like, you know what to do. You've got this. Right. Right. And And that's
1: why I love when you talk about scaffolding, that's why I love like, okay, I'm picturing a situation where I know my kid tends to bite when they're, you know, when something the when they get really upset. So I'm at the playground, I'm watching them. And I don't need to, I'm not hovering because that's not going to be helpful for me or for them, but I'm watching. And if I notice that something's frustrating them and the kid's getting close, they're in the sandbox and a kid's sitting right next to them and is like digging where they're digging and is reaching for their stuff. That's a good cue. And I could see my kids getting a little wriggly, grunting a little bit. Um, I might get close. I might, that might be the only scaffolding I need, right? My my mm-hmm. presence might be enough to help my child figure this out on their own. If they're continuing to escalate, I might start to say, and remember you've practiced ahead of time, so you have shared language around this. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to put his hand where you're playing and you don't like that. What can you do? Oh, I think I see you getting kind of upset. What can you do right now? Like, So you're coaching them in the moment to solve their own problem. You're not just coming in and saying, I won't let you bite. They haven't bitten, right? You are saying, you're meeting them where they're at in that moment and saying, I see you're getting frustrated. So you're narrating a little bit of this exchange. You're not solving the problem. You're not saying, why don't you, you know, give him that toy or or asking the little boy to go away. Like you're just narrating for your child calmly. Oh, I see. He really wants to dig where you want to dig that's frustrating you. What can you do here? What could you say? What do you need? Right? So we're, and I'm not, you know, maybe pick one of those questions, not three in a row, but like, so you're trying to help coach your kid. And when you can, this is why I love these in vivo moments where you catch it before it happens and you can calmly coach them. That's where a lot of great learning happens, but it's a delicate space to be in because it can flip fast. And if they do bite, you set or if they go into that, you say, oh, nope, I can't let you do that. Oh, I'm going to bring you over here. You can't handle this right now. So it's a little bit of an art form of like tuning into your kid in these moments. And it is more work, but it's really good education for them in these moments. Um, And it's more likely to reduce the instances of biting in the future.
0: Yeah. I always say like, it's also, you're not going to be in this space forever. Your child's not Mm going to go to college biting. So you're right. It's more work, but I think it's pretty finite, right? Like it's in the grand scheme of things. If we can pull back a little bit, it's like, you're going to invest this time, but it'll be, it's really time limited and it'll be worth this sort of skill that they can take for frustration tolerance, period. Yeah. Not just for this particular incident, that they can take with them to better build on that frustration tolerance going forward.
1: Yeah. And then again, like, let's say we missed the bite and it happened. And we, you know, de- we, we deal with separating them and we help everybody calm down. I would say my strategy then is later, not immediately after they've calmed down, but maybe that night when you're reading your bedtime stories and everybody's cuddly and in a good mood and feeling really regulated and feeling really safe, I might go back with my child over what happened, and again, I'm going to be really curious. First, I'm just going to sort of again do the narrating. Hey, you were really upset at the playground today when that kid was digging near near you. Um, he was digging right right where you wanted to dig, and you, I don't think you liked that very much. You got pretty upset, and you, you bit him, didn't you? What was going on for you? Like, what what did you feel? And for very young kids, they may not be able to give you an answer. You might give them the answer. I think you were feeling really mad that he was doing that and you didn't like that. So, and for older kids, you might say, well, what did you feel? And, you know, my daughter will probably be like, I was mad. He, I didn't like that. She might parrot words that I've already said to her, right? Or, or she might give me information that I didn't even know, right? He kept putting his foot right on my foot and was really bothering me, you know, something I missed, right? Something new information. And so a lot of times when we come in validating them first, not lecturing them, not telling them that was bad, but just, you know, it's, what's done is done. At this point, we're just trying to process with them. So going in with this sort of open curiosity you might get a little bit of information for your kids. And it also allows them to like practice this, these, this language of like reflecting on a feeling they might have had and putting a name to it. When I'm, when I have access to the part of my thinking brain where this stuff is starting to get built up in. Um, And then we can sort of, then from there, once we've done this sort of narrating this situation and giving them some language for what was, what had happened, then we can talk about expectations. Um, it's really not okay to bite, even when you're really mad. So what can you do instead next time? You really wanted him to not, and this is where I think people get mixed up. I think they think we have to teach them biting's bad and give them all the reasons why biting is bad so that they don't bite next time. Kids don't bite because they don't know it's bad. That's just not a process that occurs to them in the moment. Kids bite because they have no other way to get what they need in that moment. So instead of teaching them why biting is bad, I think it's way more helpful to teach them what can they do to get what they need more effectively next time. So it's, it's you really wanted him to, to push, not put his foot on you, or you really wanted him to dig in a different spot. What can you do? Can you go move to a different spot? Can you say, stop, I don't like that. Can you come get me? These are things that you can do next time. If our child is successful next time at getting what they need, there's not going to be a bite. So we don't have to convince them all the reasons why biting is bad. That's not really part of the equation in the moment. So I think that's really useful in that, in that debrief time is the, the education and skill building around more effective behaviors. Um, because if our kids can get what they want, they won't bite. And it's not that we just give them what they want because we're permissive and they should always be happy. It's that we need to give kids skills for being assertive, for having healthy and effective boundaries with other people. And if they do that, they don't get pushed up against a wall where they then move into that threat stance. And that's when we see those kinds of aggressive behaviors pop out.
0: Absolutely. I think a debrief is really, really important for learning. Right. Like the goal of this is learning. You know, we really want them to be able to see, you know, discuss, be open, see what their point of view is, label what's happened, sort of give them alternative behaviors. But then we also want to be able to express to them, you know, what's going to happen next time. Right. If we can't do this, we don't have the tools to be able to do this. We have to practice this kind of stuff because if we if we don't, the next time, you know, we might have to leave the park, right? I think the behavioral consequences are actually pretty important. I always say, give them a chance to succeed, but if they're not successful, I think it's very important to remove them from the situation. And that's enough of the punishment. You don't have to have ongoing conversations after you've removed them, but you do want them to know the consequence is removal from the situation—that's the punishment right. in and of itself, sort of, right? I, I parents are always asking, but then, but then, what do I say to them? Then, how do I punish them? And I and I really want them to understand the behavioral consequence of leaving an event that you want to be at is the punishment or is the repercussion or consequence. The language, you know, is interchangeable, but it's really important that we don't miss that step because that's also a, a really important step in the learning process.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I also think it's very important, this distinction, that a punishment is the behavioral consequence, not our affect, right? We don't have to – we can take our child away from a park without being stern or angry or really, you know, animated. We could say, oh – You couldn't do it without biting. It's not safe. I've got to take you home now. We're going to go home. I see you're mad. I understand. It's hard to leave the park. So we can really be very warm as we execute that consequence, as we bring that consequence into action. Um, So I think that's very helpful. So basically what we're saying is... We're going to, before we do anything, before we even get to a situation where a child might be biting, we're going to be thinking about our kids' behaviors, their patterns, their vulnerabilities. We're going to anticipate times where they might be biting or might be vulnerable to bite. We're going to prepare them in advance. We're going to think about their sensory needs. We're going to think about their frustration tolerance. We're going to, you know, monitor closely From afar, so we can scaffold if they need us. We can come in and coach in the moment. If we've missed it, we just keep maintain safety and address the safety issue. And then after after it's all done, when kids are calm, when everyone's feeling safe connected, we do the debrief, which is where we narrate the situation. We offer alternative strategies. We teach ways for them to get their needs met more effectively next time. And then we introduce or let them know what the expectation is and what will happen if that expectation isn't met. If you can't be safe, we'll have to leave the park. And that's it. That's it. You're done. And and it's like rinse, repeat, right? You might have to do this a lot of times. Kids take a lot of repetition to learn new skills. And so we also that's another thing. We have to have reasonable expectations, not just for what's an appropriate, you know, behavior when our children are really dysregulated and what's our job versus their job, but also how long this process can take and how many iterations of it might have to happen before you see a shift in the behavior. And that's okay. You know, kids learn at their own pace. Thank you, Emily, for coming on. I think this is always just so much fun to do these um, Q&As with you. And we'll see you at the next one. Yeah, so great to dive in. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we offered you some strategies you can use outside of the heat of the moment to prevent biting from happening in the first place. One of those is helping your child build their emotion regulation skills, which is vital for equipping them with the tools to self-soothe when they become dysregulated. And that's why I created a free guide that teaches you fun and simple games you can play with your child that actually strengthens these skills. This free resource, Reduce Tantrums Before They Even Begin, teaches you five activities that will help your child strengthen important regulation skills like learning to breathe, inhibiting impulses, and calming their bodies. You'll know they're learning, but they'll just think they're playing. To download this and many other free guides, go to drsarabren.com forward slash resources. That's drsarabren.com forward slash resources. Until next Tuesday, don't be a stranger.